Okay, so good morning. As Alice uh, has said, my name's Kane Hardy. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I also have the privilege of being part of the, the team that oversees uh, our church family, the New Life Community Church family. Um, and it's my privilege this morning to, to serve us um, with the Word of God. Don't we love, we love the Word of God? Um, I want to take a moment. I want to start just by giving you a little bit of a, a background. It's been a while since I've had the, this privilege um, to speak here. And I want to dig, just give a bit of background as to how I came to be here this morning. So... Um, I am married. My wife's out uh, with the children this morning. I have two children, one of which is here this morning, uh, which is a joy. Um, I came to faith in my sort of mid-20s, uh, which was around the, the mid-90s. <laughs> I discovered... A father who loves me. And I will now live with him forever, for eternity. I uh, found him draw me to him. And I remember the day when I chose to submit myself, to yield my life to him for the first time. It was really uh, a significant, uh, probably we could say the significant moment in our lives, and uh, there's much that I'm still learning about what that means. But from that moment, God put his love into my life. He changed me from being someone separated from him, someone with my metaphorical eyes closed, lack of understanding, to someone um, who is being transformed daily into the likeness of Christ. And this is brings me to our topic for this morning. It brings me to the fruit that is being produced in my life. So our topic this morning, we don't have a slide, but our, our topic is the fruit of the Spirit, and particularly the fruit, we're going to look at the fruit of love this morning. Uh, so our passage this morning, for anybody that has a Bible with them, wants to follow, is Galatians 5. Uh, verses 16 to 25, and I'm going to ask Alice, if she's still here, to come and read that for me. She's reading from the NLT today, uh, in case you have a different translation. So I say, right? So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other signs like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, 
that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Good. Okay, so I'm going to wear my glasses, which means I can't see you so perfectly, but I can see this just great. Um, so we're going to look at four things this morning together, uh, and, and um, hopefully we've got, let me just check my time, yeah, good, hopefully we've got enough time. So we're going to look at what is the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to look at who can bear fruit, we will look at how do we bear fruit, and we're going to look at what should we expect the fruit of love to look like. So that's kind of the, the gist. And I'm going to press straight on in with what is the fruit of the Spirit? So familiar term to many of us, I'm sure, if we're here in, um, the, uh, in the church family. If I just... Yeah, that's right. If we're, if we're here, it's a familiar term, but I wanted to draw it kind of out and be, make it fresh for us this morning. So... Fruit of the Spirit. In our passage here that uh, Alice has so wonderfully read, the Apostle Paul talks of two opposing realities, forces at work in our lives, that of the flesh or sinful nature and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, even as we start, you may immediately recognize that, or that it may immediately throw up questions in your mind. But I, I want us... You know, as we go through, I want us to kind of work on this and meditate on these things and um, come out the other end, hopefully better equipped. Both of these forces are powerful in our lives. Don't misunderstand that. And they can influence us in very different ways. They create different outcomes in our lives. And here's the key. We have a part to play in walking away from one and embracing the other. This is important that we get this clear. The normal Christian life should be one that's lived free from the clutches of sin that were described in our passage, and a life that's continually becoming more like Christ. As we learn, as we read Scripture, we learn what Jesus is like. We learn that he was exactly like his Father. The more we learn about him, the more we get to see him, the more we can understand that transformation process and what we are supposed to, uh, the characteristics of our life are supposed to look like. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We should expect it, it should result in transformation, and it should be evident to others. These are outward characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit are outward characteristics or benefits of what's changing inside us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, is evidence of a born-again believer 
a follower of Christ. And it's what the Apostle Paul refers to here as the fruit of the Spirit. So, who can bear fruit? This uh, might be obvious to us this morning, but who can bear fruit? Let's take a moment to remind ourselves who we are if we have chosen to believe and follow Jesus. We know that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. He did that to break the absolute power of sin over mankind. So he accomplished this humongous feat that we can barely even imagine. We can talk about it. We can sort of describe it. We cannot imagine what he accomplished in that victory on the cross. He broke this domination of sin over mankind. And it gave him the right to offer us the opportunity to be free, to, be, to, to have that you know, there's lots of analogies, the ball and chain, the prison, but all those analogies are helpful, but they don't, really un- they don't really grasp the fullness. The Apostle Paul even referred to it as us being dead. We were dead before. Jesus made it possible for him to come to us, hold out a hand and say, let me give you life. Come and enjoy life with me. In uh, Ephesians 2, um, verses 1 to 3, he writes this to the church. He says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. We don't like to think of that, but that's what he says. And, And he says, The devil is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. So uh, that was the state we lived in before we accepted Jesus' offer of life. We also know that when we accepted that free gift, this power controlling our lives was broken. It was a control in our lives. We had no choice about this state of ours. We may not have realized it. In fact, I think we hardly ever realize it. But we are locked in that state. We had no control over getting out of that condition. But that was broken. Those, we were, the door was unlocked. We were out of prison. All the chains were broken. Whatever analogy we want to use. We were set free to the domination, to the control of sin in our lives. And we were set free to reign in life. We're called. Come out and reign in life. It's a journey that begins. And I kind of want to touch on the fruit of the Spirit. It's all about that journey. The Bible refers to that as the process of sanctification. It refers to it as us becoming holy, like God is holy. This process that we begin the moment we come out of this prison, the moment that control of sin 
The moment that happens, we were born again by the Holy Spirit, born again, as Zacchaeus said. How can we be born again? We were born again of the Spirit. We came, we, we were given new hearts and a new fresh start by our God in heaven because of Jesus' victory over that dominating uh, rule of sin. Now, that change was immediate. We were filled with the Holy Spirit. We were set free immediately. And the Bible actually says we were made holy in an instant. God clothed us with righteousness. And we need to let that sink in. But it also says we began a journey of sanctification and being made holy. Those two things are true. From, from the moment one, we are made holy. We can stand before God free, clean, uh, accepted, forgiven, but we begin a process. Uh, Romans 6, I think I've got time to read this. Romans 6, 6 to 8 says, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know, I hope, we will also live with him. At, this, at the moment we were born again of the Holy Spirit, he gave us new life and he made his home in our hearts. And he called us children. He's our father and he calls us sons and daughters. So this is who can bear the fruit of the Spirit. All of us who are born again of the Spirit, anyone who declares that Jesus is Lord and knows that in their hearts, we can bear fruit. We can bear fruit as a result of the work of the Spirit. So how do we ensure that we bear an abundance of good fruit of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us now. For those of us who follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit's at work now, today, every morning, afresh. So at the beginning of our passage that Alice read out to us, verse 16, and then again at the end, verse 25, and it's a little bit different in NLT that uh, I tend to use because I love the flow some of your translations, if you're here with NIV or uh, ESV or NASB, it's a little bit different. But in both of those verses, we're told to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives or to follow the Holy Spirit's lead or to walk by the Spirit. That's what you might have. We are told to walk by the Spirit or follow the Holy Spirit's guide. Now, What's going on here in the Greek, in the, in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, this is an, very much an active verb or a present continuous sense here, which means this is what we are to do today and we're to do it tomorrow and the day after and the day after for the rest of our lives. He is saying, walk by the Spirit, follow the Holy Spirit. 
this instruction to us, this is Paul's, as a, as a wonderful pastor and church lover, he is saying to the church then and now, my instruction is to do this and keep doing this. Keep walking in the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit's lead. You see, he knew that we would not experience, we would not allow ourselves to experience all the goodness of being, what it means to be transformed daily unless we followed the Holy Spirit. Unless we recognize what he wants to do in our lives, what he's doing today, what he might want to do with us tomorrow, and he's at work within us, and he wants to lead us. And when we know that, um, how could we not want to be led by God himself? This is God himself we're talking about, who's made his home in our hearts, who converses with our own spirit, and loves to lead us. And this I want to say, this instruction is most definitely not let go and let God. This is the opposite. This is recognize God and do what he says. It's, say it another way. This call to action is in contrast to verse 18. And this is what I want us to perhaps consider this morning. Verse 18 of our passage, Paul reminds us that we are now under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Or you may have, in your translation, we are now led by the Holy Spirit, which is a passive statement. This statement is a statement of fact. It's not a statement that requires an action from us. This is a statement that every one of you here that follows Jesus as Lord is now led by the Spirit. Done. That's the truth that you should know. You should wake up every morning and know that the Holy Spirit is ready to lead you. This is the wonderful privileged position we have as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. It is a consequence of being saved by grace. Nothing else. It's grace alone has made us alive in Christ. Alive in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Who wants to lead us this morning? Now I'm laboring this a little bit because I think we can sometimes just miss the nuance here. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us, but he doesn't force us to lead, to, 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 to follow He's ready to lead. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We live in, an, in a time in history more privileged than any other period since Jesus came, won victory over sin and death, went back to his father, seated at his right hand. Since then, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you realize how wonderful that is, that truth. God has made his home in our hearts, unlike any other time since the beginning of creation. 
He would occasionally give his spirit to people. But most people didn't have his spirit at work in their lives. This is monumentous. The Holy Spirit is in us and wants to lead us. So what should our response be? What would our response be? The truth about our position in Christ is world-changing and must be grabbed hold of with both hands and acknowledged, never doubted, never doubted. Why? Because it cost Jesus so much. It cost Jesus so much to win that victory and to break that control over our lives. It cost him so much to make you and I his sons and daughters. So how can we doubt when we're told in Scripture that because of that, we have God living in us who wants to lead us into all righteousness, all goodness. Do we want to follow that? I, I, I want to follow that. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are powerless. We were powerless to please God. And now we are clothed into the righteousness of Jesus. We are made holy. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Led, directed by the Holy Spirit, rather than what? Rather than our sinful nature that wanted to lead us, that always led us down the path that we, we read about in this passage. Now, in verse 17 to 18, it says this. Uh, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us the desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not un under obligation to the law of Moses. He wants us here, Paul, to understand that while it's true, it's a statement of fact. We are no longer slaves to sin that mastered us. There are still two forces now. Well, there's not still. There was one before. There are now two forces at work in our lives. There is the passions and desires of the sinful nature. And there's the Spirit of God who leads us into worship, who leads us into a lifestyle that pleases him. That's his purpose. The passions and desires of the sinful nature are a legacy of who we are, where we started. We are no longer controlled by them. We're no longer dominated by them. But given half a chance, they will still lead us. The passage here refers to, it's almost, we can pass over it quite quickly. It says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. If you let that sink in, what you hear is that's something we need to do. 
We need to crucify those passions and desires. And what there's a lot in that. There's a whole perhaps talk in itself, which we're not going to be able to have time to do today. But that whole sense of, of the language he's using here is one of crucifixion. It's not, it's not by accident. There's obviously a link to the, uh, the victory that Jesus won. But he's also making a link here to the sense that we need to put to death that that's in us, which is nasty, which is horrible. That remnant in us, which is the remnant of a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, uh, by, not by the Holy Spirit, by sin, still has still has the potential to take us down wrong roads, wrong paths for us. And he says, we have crucified it. He says, we have crucified it. He's saying to us, we take that, we nail it to the cross. When we've nailed it to the cross, what's going to happen when you crucify something? It dies. It's going to die. If we nail it to the cross, it will die. And then we are left with what? The opportunity to follow the Holy Spirit. So we need to acknowledge this, acknowledge that we crucify crucify these desires and passions and acknowledge that we need to follow the Holy Spirit. It is by following the Holy Spirit that we overcome this legacy of sinful nature at work in us. And we make sense of Paul's language about this being something we struggle with. We'll struggle with it until we make the decision to nail it to the cross, to kill it, to let it be done with in us. And sometimes that can, be, that can have a strong... I read something which I felt was quite powerful. We can sometimes feel... We want to just go back to the foot of that cross and just, you know, gaze up in wonder at that, the experiences maybe that we had as a result of that controlling spirit. And we kind of can, can long for it. Now that's sad because that, what that did is held us in a state of spiritual death, separated from God. We can probably all testify to those, to the desires of the sinful nature at work in us and the resulting thoughts we have, not, uh, not to mention the things we do. We would be powerless without the Holy Spirit to deal with it. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the victory of Jesus that, that stands over us like a declaration This is my son. This is my daughter. I am with them. So no, we are not going to be knocked around at the whims of our sinful nature. We have the Holy Spirit. He is at work in us. He is prompting us with thoughts and actions that will make us increasingly more Christ-like, purifying us, we're told, one degree at a time. 
Romans 6.19 says, where we were slaves to sin, we have become like we are slaves to righteousness. And that's, that's not a bad thing. I would encourage you all to declare that you want to be enslaved to righteousness this morning. This is a process, though. And that process requires us to follow him. As I've said, Holy Spirit will not force us to follow the better way of love. He will just show us this is the better way. Our transformation requires us to make a decision every day to follow the Holy Spirit. So we follow the Holy Spirit and as a result of that, we will bear fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what should we expect in these last few minutes? I want us to look at what should we expect the fruit of love to look like as you consider this. First of all, let's start with the love that is meant in this passage. The love, the Greek word for love used in this passage is uh, agape. Well, we, we, many of us pronounce that as agape. But the Greek pronunciation is agape. This is used predominantly through the New Testament. There's four words. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I can read and I read and understand there's four. I'm holding out five fingers, but I'm saying four. There's four Greek words that we translate in English into love in our hugely undescriptive language that we have. The four, of the four words, three are used in the New Testament. And the one that dominates is this, agape. It's the most common word that we, that's used when we read of love. This is the word that's used of God's love for us. And it's often used to describe the love that we should have for one another. And not just for one another in the church family, but for our neighbour. That means everyone else this is the love we should have this is when Paul says that list of the fruit of the spirit and he mentions love first this is the love we should have not so much emotional love if you were confused about that we're not we're not we're not focusing on that and it's not erotic love there is a word for that in Greek and it's never used in the Bible this is what agape love should look like. First expression of it is our love for God, our desire to please him and not displease him. Matthew 22, verse 38, Jesus tells us the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Let's, let's tell ourselves that every day. This will then in turn fill us with joy. That's the second uh, fruit of the Spirit that we read in our passage. But that's probably a discussion for another day. So we love God, that will produce in us joy. So we want to nurture that. We want to bear an abundance of that. We should also expect this growing love for God to 
uh, create almost an inexplicable love for our neighbor. So I mentioned it a moment ago, but love for your neighbor is not as easy as it sounds, is it? That means love for your enemies who are your neighbor. That means love for those who don't particularly want to do you good. That's challenging love. This is agape love. It's a love which doesn't expect anything back. It's a love that says, I'm going to love you, not because you deserve to be loved, but because the Holy Spirit is leading me to love that way. Um, Colossians 1.8, Paul writes to... Um, Uh, the church in Colossae. And he writes in Colossians 1.8 that Epaphras, his friend, has told him about the love that the Holy Spirit has given the church. And that love, in this context, causes that church to respond beyond all imagination what he could have expected in terms of the way they loved another church family in another location, or the, even the wider church family, when they had nothing themselves. They gave out of their nothingness because they loved. And that love is a work of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 22, verse 39 tells us, Jesus says, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor like you would like to be loved, in other words. There's um, an, uh, an American pastor and pretty famous theologian called John Piper. And he says that genuine love for others in the Christian life is a work of the Holy Spirit and it's rooted in our love and our passion for God. And he defines it simply like this. Love is an overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Let me just read that again. Love is an overflow of our joy in God that meets the needs of others. So loving our neighbor in practical, generous ways that benefits them is what this fruit of love might look like. The fruit of love, when we're thinking what it might look like, can also be seen in our unnatural willingness to place the needs of others before our own, to, to, to seeing a, a developing humility in us that, like Jesus, at its root is servant-hearted, willing to serve is an uh, expression of that love. It doesn't seek a position. It doesn't look for recognition it doesn't look for approval, but it revels in the joy of others. Um, I want to finish here before I come to just conclude with perhaps the best illustration. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, I know what love looks like. The best illustration of love is provided for us in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me just read that. It's... It's very familiar. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. Just going to read this passage here. It tells us that love is patient and kind. 
This is, when, I'm, when we're reading this, you know, we're very familiar to hear this at weddings, aren't we? This is, you know, used in the context of, uh, of the love between a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband. But what Paul is driving at here is, this is what agape love is. This is what God's love for us is like and what our love for our neighbor should be like. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs or being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it will endure through every circumstance. This is what the fruit of the spirit of, that is love looks like. So we've considered this morning what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's the outward characteristic of inner transformation. We've looked at who can bear the fruit of the Spirit. All of those who follow Jesus and have been born again of the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at how we bear fruit by following the Spirit's lead and walking in step with him, by being willing to be guided by him, actively following Actively walking in step and actively not following the desires of our flesh, the desires of the sinful nature. And we've considered what the fruit of love might look like in us as it's manifest in us and through us. I'd like us to stand. If you wouldn't mind standing with me this morning. I'd like us to respond, I'd like, to, I'd like to describe to us how I'd like you to join me in a response to what this word, what this passage calls us to. Yes, if the musicians could join me. Thank you. Look, first, as we're standing here this morning... I want to provide an opportunity. If there's anyone here this morning who has yet to acknowledge their need for Jesus in their lives, is yet to accept that gift of grace, that gift of eternal life with God. And as I describe that, you know if it's you, because you know if you've done that. And you know if you haven't. You know if that's never been a moment in your life. And if that's you here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here this morning, and that is you, I want to ask you to just raise your hand among us. We can rejoice that the Holy Spirit has come to live in us and transform our lives 
So for all of the believers in this room, I want to invite you to make a fresh, today, a fresh declaration to follow the Holy Spirit. You all know that you are led by the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us, I've reminded us, you know it anyway. But I want to call us, all of us, me included, to make a fresh declaration to follow the Holy Spirit into what? Into new depths of holiness, into new depths of transformation, and to call out for fresh fruit in our life. Fruit in abundance. You know, when we think of fruit, I don't know about you, but I think of fruit hanging off trees, grapes on a grapevine, apples on an apple tree, bunches of cherries. I love cherries, so I'll be thinking of them. And when a tree is heavy with fruit, it's very noticeable. I want us, my heart's desire, and I think that of the Apostle Paul was that we would bear an abundance of fruit. So I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer. And if you want to make that fresh declaration with me, I'd ask you to use your hands in whatever way you want to. Whether you want to raise them high, put them out in front of you, I want you to use your hands as a way of de- of declaring your willingness before God to follow the Holy Spirit and I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond Lord this morning we can revel in the truth that you won a victory over sin and death. You broke the domination of sin over mankind. And it gave you the right to say to each one of us here this morning, come and follow me into the fullness of life. And we accepted. We took your hand, Lord Jesus. And you gave us of your spirit. You poured out your spirit into our lives. And you changed our reality. And this morning, as we stand before you afresh, we say, Lord, we want to follow you. We do want to follow you. Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, this morning we declare, we make that fresh declaration that we're going to follow you. Speak to us, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart. Open our minds. Every day, Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us. Don't give up on us. Thank you that you never will. Thank you that your love for us is agape love that never gives up. Lord, as we ponder that, we say, we declare, we want to follow you. We want to follow you into the way, the good and perfect way of love that results in us being more like our God, more like our precious King and champion, Jesus. So Lord, hear us this morning. Hear us this morning and help us tomorrow. Help us the next day and the day after and every day after that to follow you. And Lord, we want to, Look forward to the ever-increasing transformation that 
the ever, the ever more abundant fruit of your spirit leading and guiding us. So we pray this this morning and ask you to do this in us in Jesus' name. Amen.